We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today is Thursday, January the 20th, 2022, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. And on today's show, we continue along with our 2022 position unit preview series for Gamecocks baseball guys. Today, we're breaking down the Yardcocks relievers going into opening day, guys. I'll break it all down, including key losses, key returners, most approved, best overall. Season will be successful if, and I'll give my overall grade for the South Carolina bullpen heading into opening day as well. Also, guys, news and notes to get into. And we've got a fantastic conversation, guys. A great throwback interview with former Gamecocks first baseman Christian Walker, truly one of the best to ever wear the garnet and black guys. we got a packed show for you here on a Thursday. And, of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, for all your moving needs in the 2022 calendar year, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. is just around the corner without telling me that opening day is just around the corner. I found myself at the grocery store yesterday gravitating towards the section of said grocery store where the barbecue sunflower seeds are kept. And yes, you guessed it. Yours truly bought two bags of sunflower seeds and I've already started to dive into them. You know, once you start to get that itch, you just know. You just know it's creeping up. You just know it's getting closer. And before you know it, folks, in about four weeks or so, we'll be out at Founders Park chewing on some seeds, cheering for the Gamecocks, and taking in this 2022 
baseball season. Folks, again, appreciate you all tuning in. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, hope you're having a fantastic Thursday. Hope your week has gone well, and I hope this show does find you well. Again, guys, appreciate you so much. Your continued love and support all throughout the week from the content, the podcast, the Daily Crow, the merch, everything we do. And on that note, before we get going, brand new baseball merch. You've probably already seen this on social media by now, but brand new baseball merch has hit TSUS.com. Store. That's where you can find all of our merchandise from our new Gilly Gilly line supporting John Gilreath as a TSUS athlete. We've also got Heckle Juice merch. We've got new pieces with our Rowdy Roosters merch and Yard Cox baseball merch. And folks, I promise you, there is more to come as well. So again, if you do want to check that out, go ahead, get your merch. Four weeks, just about four weeks or so, 29 days to be exact, until opening day. You want to go ahead and order so you make sure you've got your merch for the start of the 2022 baseball season. So again, that's TSUS.store and stay tuned. We're also going to be running sales and giveaways and stuff like that as we creep closer and closer to first pitch. Guys, with that being said, as I told you, every single Tuesday and Thursday leading up to opening day, we are continuing along with the position unit preview series. And today we're talking Gamecocks relievers. I'm excited to dive into this because This is one of the biggest questions, I believe, surrounding this South Carolina baseball team entering the 2022 season. Because again, guys, we start with the key losses. And you look at just who you lost from a season ago, and it is a lot of innings. Brett Carey, Danny Lloyd, Andy Peters, Jack Mahoney, and Jackson Phipps. And there's others there as well. But again, guys, Brett Carey, his impact. Goes without saying, Danny Lloyd was a very dependable piece for you out of the pen. You might remember in that game one of the regional, he got the save, and he was also like unhittable in that regional in the games he pitched against Virginia. Andy Peters was an electric arm out of the pen. And then, of course, unfortunately, Jack Mahoney and Jackson Phipps will be out this season due to recovering from Tommy John surgery. Of course, Jack Mahoney will be able to play the field and hit, but will not be pitching in this 2022 season. So again, guys, a big loss there. And again, a lot of losses for you in the bullpen and a lot of roles to be determined. When you look at the key returners, some veterans, some newer guys, Parker Coyne, Brett Thomas, CJ Wines, John Gilreath, Cam Tringali, And, you know, a lot of those names we're familiar with, and a lot of those guys were on this team last year and did not pitch a lot of innings. Just call it what it is. They did not pitch a lot of innings. You're probably going to be depending on a lot of new faces when it comes to the Gamecocks bullpen and those to fill those roles. You know, again, I've talked about these guys before, but guys like Eli Jones, Sam Simpson, uh, Noah Hall, James Hicks, Cade Austin, the lefty Michael Esposito, Matthew Becker. There's going to be a lot of new faces. It, it It is a... Brand new look bullpen, if you want. A lot of guys who have been here for a couple of years, in my opinion, are going to have to step up and fill those voids. Guys, you know, I'll tell you this. Again, when you lose the amount of innings Salcona does, it's always going to be a question when you're looking to replace. The talent is there, but the question is, who steps up? And that brings me into my most approved of the Gamecocks relievers for the 2022 baseball season. Now, when I'm thinking of this group and the most approved, right? You got a lot of new faces that are going to have to prove they're ready for this SEC level and that they can fill in and they can pitch at a high level on a consistent basis. But I'm really looking to see some of these veterans, uh, you know, 
do a little bit more than they have to this point in their careers. I'm looking to see some of these veterans emerge because these guys, they know what it takes. They know what South Carolina baseball is all about. They know about the culture, and they've been with Mark Kingston since his South Carolina tenure began. And the guy that I look at, and I'll tell you guys this, I saw him pitch in the fall, and his stuff was as electric as I've seen. I'll make that point, too. All these guys on South Carolina's pitching staff, you don't go to South Carolina if you don't have electric stuff. It just simply doesn't happen. If you don't have great stuff, you don't go to an SEC school. You certainly don't go to a school like South Carolina. And this guy's stuff has been good. He's been a solid pitcher for South Carolina, been more of a midweek guy, nothing beyond that really. And I think someone that needs to have more of a role on this ball club this year needs to have more of a role in this bullpen. And again, when I saw him pitch in the fall, I thought the stuff was electric, ran the fastball up to 94 to 95 with a ton of life, devastating breaking ball. He's always had one. But right-handed pitcher Parker Coyne for me, again, is a guy that I look at these veterans. I look at the coins, the Tringales, the Sweats. These dudes need to step up. I mean, listen, it's fun watching the Mahoney's and the Sanders and these young dudes and these young electric arms. But a guy like Parker Coyne and some of these other veterans, they really need to come into their own and rise of the occasion. Because again, guys, like I mentioned, you lost a ton of innings. You lost some big, big arms from your bullpen. You lost some guys that pitched some very big innings for you. And again, a guy like Parker Coyne, this is not his first rodeo. He's done it before. He's been in the fire. He knows what the SEC grind is all about. And again, the stuff is there. Can he put it all together? Can he make a bigger impact? I think he's got the potential to. So, again, for me, the most approved and someone I want to see step up as a veteran, take it upon himself to be one of the dudes for the South kind of bullpen, that is right-handed pitcher Parker Coyne. Now, when you're talking best overall, guys, this is honestly where it got really tough for me because I I think your best overall is a guy that's never thrown a pitch before in a real game for the University of South Carolina. And that's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. And I think it goes to show you just how, how much this bullpen has changed, how new look of a bullpen this is going to be with all the guys you lost and all the newcomers you have coming in. And as we saw last year, right, you're, you're going to have – some guys step up that are newcomers. You know, last year we saw the Will Sanders. We saw the Jackson Phipps. We saw the Jack Mahoney's. And that is a positive. But it's not a warm and fuzzy feeling when you're coming into a season and you don't have at least that one proven commodity that you feel like you can really lean on. You know, I look at guys like C.J. Wines and Brett Thomas, who I think are guys that have, you know, very high ceilings, but they've just thrown so limited innings. You look at really, is that truly your best option? Is that truly your best guy? I tell you, the dude that I watched pitch during the fall more often than, more often than not was pitching really, really well. And I, I saw him pitch on multiple occasions, I should say. That is right-handed pitcher Noah Hall. This kid coming from Appalachian State, the transfer in 2020. He was a freshman All-American, was really, really good for the Mountaineers. Um, I really liked what I saw from him. Again, Mark Kingston saying he could run the fastball up there, 94 to 95. But this is going to change, guys. Again, there's, there's a good chance the best overall does change, okay? Because right now, to be honest, the bullpen, we just don't know. It's an unknown commodity. And spring scrimmages, all that good stuff, that hasn't started yet. So, Who's going to step up? Who's going to claim roles? Who's really going to emerge as the dude? And guys, we know all throughout, especially early in the season and the non-conference and you get an early SEC play. If you don't have these wily veterans who are established, who have done it year after year and sort of claim their stake on these roles, so much can change. The lineup can change. The weekend rotation can change. And the bullpen certainly 
can change. We've seen her the last couple of years. Look at what happened with Brett Carey. Look at what happened with Danny Lloyd, Andy Peters. All these dudes sort of shuffled up and down. But I'll, I'll tell you what, watching Noah Hall in the fall, he was really impressive to me. Again, the fastball had a lot of life to it. And he's not a very big dude, but you know, finds a way to run up there 94, 95 miles an hour, like I said, was really, really good at Appalachian State. And don't sleep on App State. They, they play some good baseball up there in Boone, North Carolina. So right now, I'm going to say the best overall, just to what I know, guys. Again, that's all I can go off of is what I know. I would put Noah Hall as the best overall, but I would say you can bank on this most likely changing. Again, I guarantee you one or two or even more guys are going to step up. And I'm not saying Noah Hall couldn't be the best overall for you, but it would not be shocking to me if someone else emerges from this group. And guys, that brings me into the season will be successful if for the Gamecocks relievers in 2022. What's going to spell a successful season? Well, it's simple. I'm talking a lot about roles. We talk a lot about guys claiming roles and establishing themselves. The season will be successful if roles are established and solidified early in this season. Guys, it's going to be very hard to win many ball games if you're halfway, three quarters of the way through the year, and you still don't know who your eighth inning guy is, eighth inning guy is, and you still don't know who your closer is. If you're wandering throughout the season, trying a different guy every day and trying a different guy every weekend, you're probably struggling late in ball games. And I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but I was able to talk guys with Scott Wingo a couple of weeks ago, who we all know is on the coaching staff and great to have Wingo back in Columbia. But I asked him about the bullpen. I said, you know, what does the bullpen look like? You know, do you guys have any idea? Do you have any idea who the closer is going to be, who this guy's going to be, that guy's going to be? He said, Chris, we have no clue. We, we have no clue right now. You know, we're sitting there same as you, waiting on guys to establish themselves and go win roles and go win spots. So, guys, right now, it's up in the air. I think you've got a lot of talent in this group. I certainly think you've got a lot of talent. You've got a lot of electric arms. You know, again, Mark Kingston talked about that. I mean, everybody on your staff is throwing 94-95, but it's just all about which guys take those roles, which guys take those spots, which guys are ready to go through the SEC grind week in, week out. And again, you got to establish those roles quickly because you're going to go through preseason camp. That's all fine and dandy. You're going to play UNCG in the first weekend. You'll have non-conference to go through. But then it gets real. You're going to have Clemson for a three-game set. You're going to have Texas. Then you jump into SEC play, guys. It gets very, very real. So you only got a couple of weeks of regular season ball to figure this out. Again, the season will be successful. if Get those roles established, right? Have guys take those spots, get those roles established, and get them solidified early. Because again, you just can't operate if you don't have that guy at the back end that can shut down the ball game for you or those couple of guys, those couple of guys. Um, again, you know, you've been able to lean on the Brett Carries and the Danny Lloyds and the Andy Peters of the world. Who's going to step up and be those seventh, eighth, ninth inning guys for you? Um, because again, you, you just can't count on guys like Will Sanders and Julian Bosnick pitching seven, eight innings for you every single week. And there's going to be times where they only go six and you're going to have to have somebody bridge it and close the game out for you. So again, who's going to win those spots? Who's going to step up in the preseason, establish those roles? Going to be a lot of fun to watch that over the next few weeks. Guys, finally, my overall grade for the Gamecocks relievers heading in this 2022 baseball season. And I was very, very, I don't know if harsh is the right word, but there's no reason to sugarcoat it, right? Again, while there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of unknowns. The bullpen is a major question mark 
for South Carolina. For that reason, I've graded the relievers a C minus. Again, this grade is not indicative on the potential. This grade is not indicative on the talent. There's plenty of talent, plenty of potential. You got JUCO guys, you got transfers, you got dudes coming back who haven't really gotten as much opportunities as they're going to get this season. But with the question marks you have coming in, I, you got to take that into account. Again, we talk a lot about, and fans talk a lot about, Chris, are we going to be better at hitting this year? How's the hitting going to be? How's situational hitting? And I understand that's a question. After last year, it's a question, but I, I could argue the bullpen's the biggest question mark on this baseball team. And again, it's just sheerly because the number of guys you lost. And then when you factor in what really hurts you is not having Mahoney, not having Phipps, not having these dudes that I thought were so electric for you as youngsters last year. Uh, not having the new to TJ really does hurt you. But again, the potential's there. The potential's there. You've got some flamethrowers. It's just our guys going to be ready to grow up quickly and step up and flourish in those roles and again, lock them down. Like I said, you know, you, you don't have to have another Brett Carey. You, you don't have to have another Danny Lloyd, Andy Peters, whatever. But you need to go throughout this season having a general idea of who the dudes are you can trust when you hand the baseball over to them. Guys, again, when, when managers, when coaches, when they're looking for guys to be their bullpen guys especially, you know, it doesn't matter if you throw 100. It, it doesn't matter how nasty your stuff is. What they look for is consistency. When we hand the baseball to you, are you going to be the same guy outing after outing after outing? Because what coaches can't stand and what coaches can't deal with and what they just can't tolerate is, and we've seen this before in the past with some other Gamecock pitchers, they can't tolerate when they have a guy go out there and he's lights out one night, and then the next night he can't find the strike zone. He's a completely different dude. Emotions start running wild. You need to be the same guy night after night after night. So, again, can South Carolina, can they find those guys they can depend on night after night, weekend after weekend? Again, if you can do that, it'll be a successful season. And if you can do that, the final grade in the postseason, which is the grade that really matters, it will exceed the C-minus grade I've given this group. But right now, with the question marks, with the unknowns, I'm grading these guys a C-minus. But again, I think the potential certainly is there if guys can step up and flourish to be much better than that C-minus grade I have tabbed them with. So again, guys, that is the breakdown of South Carolina's relievers heading into opening day starting next week on Tuesday. We'll begin talking position players, and we'll go throughout, of course, around the diamond in the outfield. And, of course, we'll break it all down the week of opening day and really dive into it. But, again, that's the Game Cox Relievers. And I would love to hear from you guys. Guys, what are your thoughts on Salcona's bullpen? I know a lot of you have asked questions about the bullpen and, and what to expect, and I'm not sure if I've made any of you feel any better or maybe feel worse about the status of the bullpen. But I uh, would love to hear your thoughts. Where am I right, wrong? Uh, where do you agree, disagree? Most approved, best overall, season successful if, and the overall grade. Again, would love to hear from you all in the comments. All right, let's move off of that into our news and notes. Uh, pro football focus on Wednesday afternoon, ranking a pair of Gamecock tight ends in their top 10 best returning at that position. Number five, they had Jaheim Bell. And number eight, they had Austin Stogner. I'll tell you what, when you look at that list, if South Carolina doesn't utilize the tight end more in 2022, I just, I don't know what to tell you guys. I don't want to tell you. Um, I, I do think Jaheim Bell is going to slide outside. I think it's going to be beneficial for him to do that. But uh, no, you should be very, very well off when it comes to the tight end position. Uh, also, Shane Beamer, Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning, by the way, firing off 
a welcome home tweet. And right now at this moment, we still don't know for certain who it is. The word on the street is it's possibly Lovacy Carroll, the transfer from Georgia. Is it a transfer portal player? Is it a high school kid? Again, your guess is as good as mine right now. But again, we'll continue to keep you updated as we continue to, to keep an eye on and to research who the welcome home just may be. But again, Shane Beamer, just keeping on keeping on Beamer ball to the moon, keeping positive momentum going on the recruiting trail. But again, guys, hey, that's going to do it all for me. Great Thursday to have a Thursday, and what a show it was. Appreciate you all tuning in, guys. Like I said, thank you all so much. The continued love and support in regards to the content, the business, the merchandise, just everything we do here with the Spurs Up show. Truly appreciate you all. But don't go anywhere, guys. Hey, we've got a great conversation, fantastic throwback interview with former South Carolina first baseman Christian Walker. Guys, Christian, a great combo we had over the summer of 2019. I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, which conversation could we throw up today? And I was like, have we not republished this Christian Walker interview? Because, guys, it's truly one of my favorites I've ever done, one of the all-time interviews we've ever had. Uh, an awesome dude. And, of course, Christian Walker still, to this day, enjoying a fantastic career in the major league. So, again, guys, it's a conversation you definitely don't want to miss, one of the best to ever wear the Garnet and Black. Again, guys, I'm out of here. Appreciate you all tuning in. Have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks first baseman, Christian Walker. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2010 to 2012, a mainstay for the Gamecocks, a two-time national champion, was drafted in 2012 by the Baltimore Orioles in the fourth round, is currently with the Arizona Diamondbacks, off to a hot start in 2019, getting his chance at the MLB level. I know a lot of Gamecock fans are happy to see that. I want to welcome to the show Christian Walker. Christian, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's kind of jump right into it. Let's go back to, you know, your high school career. You were a very highly sought after high school baseball player from Limerick, Pennsylvania, went to Kennedy Kenrick High School. Um, just kind of talk about sort of your recruiting process and what led you to South Carolina, you know, being a kid from Pennsylvania. Yeah, growing up in the Northeast, um, you know, there's there's some baseball competition up there, but, um, you know, something about the South always uh, appealed to me. You know, I felt like every year in Supers and in Omaha, I was watching teams from, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Um, I was always partial to the East Coast, but I was mostly Southern teams that I was seeing down there. So at a young age, in my mind, it was always uh, the goal was to go down South to play baseball. And um, a part of that was, was getting in front of the right coaches and the right eyes and, and getting seen. And um, growing up, I played for a travel team called All-Star Baseball Academy, who who did a great job of putting us in front of the right people. And, um, you know, with the weather, the weather up North, once it starts getting cold in the fall, all the tournaments end up being in the South. Uh, so I guess that's how I ended up um, getting in front of, you know, South Carolina. It was uh I guess Monty Lee and, and Mark Calvi at the time, um, you know, getting recruited and all that. So that's how I ended up getting in front of the, the, the Gamecock eyes. But, um, yeah, something about me always wanted to, get, to go down south to play baseball. Absolutely. So, obviously, you know, you played for a legendary head coach in Ray Tanner, and I know you were, you know, that was always a really good relationship with you guys. And, you know, we've had a lot of different guys on our show that have talked about their relationships with Ray Tanner, and it's very interesting to kind of hear from the different eras sort of – I guess how his coaching style changed a little bit. We all know he's a very tough coach and really gets the best out of his players. But um, how much did the relationship with Ray Tanner, you know, go into your decision to go to South Carolina and talk about kind of that relationship you have with him? Yeah. Um, 
So back um back when when I was trying to make the decision to commit to South Carolina, um, you know, honestly, it was it was a pretty quick process. I, I thought it was gonna, you know, take a while and drag on. Just just wanting to check out all the schools and <clears throat> um, just just really get educated before making my decision. But when it came down to it, uh, I had a couple conversations with with Coach Tanner and, and the staff at, at South Carolina, and something just felt right. Um, so I, I mean, I committed and. Um, never, never looked in the rear view and was so excited to get to South Carolina and got there and, and as a freshman really wanted to start and play and, um, you know, realized pretty quickly that, that nothing was going to be given to us. And, you know, if you wanted, if you wanted to get, get at bats and you wanted to earn playing time, it was going to be exactly that you had to earn it. And, um, you know, there was, there was no easy way, uh, through coach Tanner and he, he really laid the line down, uh, pretty early with us. And, um, you know, I think it's exactly what I needed as a player, as a as a as a young man, trying to mature, trying to grow up, trying to figure out who I am on and off the field. Uh, having somebody like that uh, around us every day was was crucial for me. No doubt. So play, you definitely did. Uh, 2010, you know, you were a freshman All-American selection by Baseball America, really a mainstay in the Gamecocks lineup just as a freshman. Um, had a really successful year. What would you say you attribute to? making such a quick quick transition because I know you know for some guys it really just kind of depends some guys don't make that transition nearly as flawlessly um what do you think clicked for you going from high school baseball to you know big time SEC college baseball and obviously winning the national championship um to be honest I, I think it's a combination of things I, I think um uh I think one I was I was ex- I was really 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 excited to to, to get to get to campus and start playing and, and start the next the next chapter of, of my baseball career and, um, you know, every day, just, just loving the people I was surrounded by the, the atmosphere, the, the, the baseball side of it, the workouts every day was, was just so much fun and, and such a, an enjoyable experience day to day. Um, you know, you look forward to showing up to the field and, and working out with your teammates and, um, you know, you look forward so much to weekend series and, and Friday night games and, and things like that, that, um, you know, I, I kind of just, uh, I didn't expect it, but mentally I, I wanted to plan on playing every day. So for me, it was, it was showing up to the park, taking care of my business and, and just wanting to fit in, uh, you know, with the everyday guys and, and, and show that, that I could contribute to that team uh, early in my, in my college career. No doubt. And again, that freshman season, you hit 327, nine homers, 51 RBIs, obviously one of the, I guess, probably most replayed games and replayed at bats of your South Carolina career was the 2010 uh, Super Regionals against Coastal Carolina. You hit the, basically the go-ahead home run for South Carolina. My question is this, because most guys I've talked to, your, your uh, former teammates, they say that ball still hasn't landed yet, and I would agree with them. But I haven't been able to watch every single at bat you've had in the minors, obviously in the majors as well. But have you ever pimped a home run harder than you pimped that one? <laughs> um, in terms of bat flip, that was that was probably the most. And um, to be honest, I think that was the first time I've ever done anything like that. And um, in the moment, it was just pure reaction. It was it was just something that happened. Um, you know, call it call it the situation or, or or the stage or whatever it was. But um, I look back, and I mean, a part of me doesn't even remember running the bases there. That was that was just uh, that was an amazing amazing time. For sure. So it's funny, you know, Christian, you take a look at your career and I mean, I'm sure you, you've, you're playing right now with and have played with a ton of guys that played at a bunch of successful schools, had a ton of success, obviously, in their college career. But I mean, I was taking a look at just not just your statistics, but the teams you were on. I mean, 2010, 2011, 2012, 
I'm not sure there are many college baseball players that you've run into or that anyone's run into that can say they went to three straight national titles and won two of them. I mean, when you look back on your college career, um, you know, what do you take away from it specifically? Because, again, the amount of success that South Carolina had when you were there was, you know, really just unprecedented. Yeah, for me, it was um, it was a mentality. You know, I came in my freshman year and um, was immediately surrounded by guys like like Whit Merrifield and, and Jackie Bradley and uh, Blake Cooper and these guys who who all they wanted to be was was the best every single day. They showed up every day. They wanted to be the best on the field, the best player on their team, the best teammate in the clubhouse, the best player in the country. So so pretty early on, I was I was surrounded by this 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 need and this want for greatness. And um, when I say, when I say like it was just expected every day, <clears throat> not in a cocky way, not, not we're expecting to win, but, but we kind of are, we're, we're going to, we, we expect to show up and, and, and play the way we know how to play and lay it on a team and, and move on to the next team. And, and for those three years, that's honestly how it felt. It was Omaha felt like it was just the norm for us. It was, you know, you, you show up, you win a game, you, you go to regionals, you win it, you go to supers, you win it. And, um, you know, nothing, it, it almost felt like nothing else would have been, um, you know, would have, would have done. No doubt. So that freshman season as well, 2010, you guys faced the Clemson Tigers, beat those guys twice, similar to 2002. I know you're a guy from Pennsylvania and it's talked about with South Carolina that a lot of the out-of-state guys that, you know, maybe they don't realize when they come in, obviously the severity of the rivalry, just how intense it is. But when did it click for you? Because you had a lot of success against Clemson really throughout your career. But when did it click for you? Like, hey, this is not just any other game. This is this is really serious. Uh, for me, it was um, <clears throat> it was the first time, the first Clemson series uh, in 2010. Um, I think specifically, probably the game at home um, when when it was like it, it felt like there was six or seven deep standing room only. Um, you know that that stadium I think holds in the low, in the low eight thousands, and I think we were pushing nine thousand that game in terms of attendance. Um, you know, just a different energy, a different buzz in the air. Uh, the players feed off of that. The fans feed off of that. For me, that was I knew I knew it was it was going to be higher stakes baseball. But uh, when I walked out there, you know that that first uh, that first home game against Clemson, that was uh, that was pretty amazing for me. No doubt. So 2011, 2012, you, you know, you stayed very, very consistent throughout your career. Career 336 hitter, had 30 homers, 168 RBIs, but nine homers your freshman year, 10 your sophomore, 11 your junior year. Let's jump to that sophomore season because uh, that was also another epic. You guys are going for your second straight national championship. When you go into the 2011 season, you sort of talked about what the expectations were, kind of what you expect of each other. I mean, was it a no-brainer coming back in 2011? Like, hey, we're trying to repeat. We're, you know, we just closed out Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt. Let's open up TD Ameritrade. Let's go win another one. Yeah, absolutely. The, the team that we had, um, I mean, even, even during the 2010 run, it was, you know, after the loss to Oklahoma, it, it, nothing changed for us. It was, okay, you know, who we got tomorrow? Arizona State. All right, they're number one in the country. So what? We showed up and, and you know we laid it on them pretty good and, and, and that was that was a big confidence booster for us just to you know it doesn't matter what what happened the day before or or whatever or you know whatever the record shows it, it you know we know who we are as a team as players showing up every day and you know a huge part of that is 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 what Coach Tanner and and, and the staff um, you know you know put in our head every day and and, and groomed us to to believe in ourselves and 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 truly truly go out and, and want to play for one another. So, so showing up 
for the 2011 season. I mean, I remember early in the year, we were already talking about Omaha and going back and repeating, not in a cocky way, but those were just the expectations. You know, nothing else was going was gonna to do for us. And, and that season was, was amazing for us. I felt like that was, that was one of the best teams uh, I, have, I have ever played on in any, any level of baseball. For sure. So 2011, again, a very good year for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. You were named second team All-SEC, College World Series All-Tournament team. But I think the thing that South Carolina fans still talk about to this day is what people didn't realize, you played that entire College World Series championship series with a broken handmade bone in your left wrist and still were – you were very good. Um, I, I guess first off, how much did the broken handmade bone limit you? Because obviously when you're playing around with those small bones in your wrist, your hand – I mean, it's very tough, especially obviously you swinging the bat, playing first base. But uh, how tough did it make it on you to play that series just in general? And, I mean, did you ever even – did it even cross your mind that, hey, I might have to sit this one out, or was it sort of like I'm going to have to be bleeding to death to miss the College World Series finals? Um, so, first and foremost, I have to give all the credit to the, the South Carolina medical staff. Um, it, it was just from top to bottom, Brainerd – helped me out so much and they ended up flying some doctors out uh so we had a couple days in between in between the the semifinals and the the championship series and uh those those days were were pretty stressful and emotional trying to figure out if I was going to play and get x-rays and and treatment and all that stuff so once we realized the handmade bone was broken uh we, we we took a day off to try to let some swelling go down and then we had a team workout um it was it was at the team workout where I had a brace on, I had it taped up and I knew it wasn't going to be a hundred percent, but I, I thought maybe if I could just baby it a little bit and, um, you know, just, just the idea of being in the lineup, maybe I could, uh, I don't know, like maybe protect some guys in the lineup. And, um, you know, we, we just had a, a great thing going and I, I didn't want to miss that. I, we spent all year on the field, you know, with, with your, with your brothers, the guys you're grinding with all season to get to the, the last three games of the season and someone's telling you you're not going to be able to play. So, so for me, that was a, a pretty emotional few days. I remember, uh, I remember I went out on the field um, during batting practice, and this would have been the first swing since breaking my bone, breaking the the, the handmate bone um, against Virginia. And one swing in the batting practice round, uh, the bat flew out of my hand. I think I, I think I missed the baseball. Uh, one swing done. The, the pain was um, excruciating, and I, I just walked back into the dugout and kind of just dropped my head and, and that was the moment when I when I really thought I wasn't going to be able to play um I remember Adrian Morales coming coming up to me in the dugout and uh basically grabbing me by the shirt and telling me that I'm playing in this series and uh you know for me that was that was a big momentum swing I didn't think there was going to be any way I was going to play when Adrian looked me in the eyes and, and told me that I was going to play and I was going to be a part of this team basically talked me into it um not that not that I didn't want to play or anything like that, but but where I was mentally, it was just I thought this was it. This, there's no way I can play, and um, you know that's that's just a credit to the team that we had at the time and and the kind of guys like Adrian around, um, you know, keeping the younger guys in check and and leading by example and um, you know just from top to bottom, it was it was a whole team effort and um, so the medical staff gave me a few days of treatment and. Um, ended up coming out and, you know, it was pretty painful and it, it wasn't, you know, definitely wasn't a hundred percent, but, um, you know, I could play and, and that's all I needed was just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of momentum, a little bit of, um, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, 
you know, I was, I was so happy to be able to go out and play with my team and, and, and be a part of what, what was going on. Yeah, and all you did was go four for nine uh, in that championship series. So obviously a huge part of that, uh, that championship series. How much different, you know, obviously the team was different. You know, your team was different. The team you were playing was different. But, you know, how much different was the first national championship from the second national championship? And was it any less or more sweet each time? Um, <clears throat> no, you know, that's, that's hard to say. It's hard to rank them. Obviously, the first one was amazing. Um, Rosenblatt was great. The energy there was amazing. Um, in terms of winning it, which one meant more? I think 2011 was so much fun. I felt like we were hands down the best team in the country. Nobody in the country could touch us. And I felt like that's the vibe that we put out there on the field. We'd show up, we'd beat a team, we'd move on. We'd show up, we'd beat a team, we'd move on. And that was, I think that was in the middle of that, uh, that, that postseason, the, the postseason consecutive wins. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that record there. That, and then it was, it was, you know, we knew that record was going on and we still would show up every day knowing that nobody could beat us. There's nothing you can do. Here's the team we got. And I felt like that was, that was translating for us out on the field. So for me, that was a lot of fun to, to, to play baseball with kind of that, that cocky swagger attitude. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, I'll ask you simply, have you ever played in a baseball game crazier than game one against Florida? <laughs> no, I actually lived with Evan Marzilli, uh, this past spring training. He's, he's still a really good friend of mine. Um, and, and we, uh, we actually, we had another roommate with us, a third, a third player. And, and we were, we were constantly, he was always asking questions about the national championships and playing in college and all this stuff. And, um, that's one game that actually, I mean, that, that whole series was, was kind of crazier, both of those games, but that the game one was, was just amazing. And, and I mean, that's, that was the, the, the craziest two or three innings of baseball I've ever been a part of, regardless of what side I was on. Um, but, but the bases loaded, no outs. And I mean, all that from Jake Williams throwing the guy out at home. Um, I mean, looking back, I feel like you can't help but smile and laugh at what was going on. It was, it was just an amazing, an amazing thing. Absolutely. So, again, you guys win the 2011 College World Series, your second straight national championship. I want to go back to Carolina Clemson because it was funny when we were kind of hyping up Carolina Clemson this year, um, I, I sort of found up and brought kind of one of your uh, – a video that you were in at least. It was you and Ray Tanner. Uh, I forget if it – I believe it was 2011, but the, you know, the whole bat heating thing. And then obviously you were there in 2012. You guys beat them, I believe, is in the – what was it, the Super Regionals or the Regionals to advance – um, but you guys had a ton of success against them. It was very heated and very bitter. And I thought your comments were kind of, it was just sort of funny. Cause you, you know, Ray Tanner talked about it, it really rubbed the team the wrong way. It really pissed you guys off. I mean, when you look at the Carolina Clemson, you know, series or rivalry as a whole, especially when you were there, um, what do you take away from it? Cause I, I know it was very, very heated and very bitter against you guys, which I mean, you expect from the best rivalry in college baseball. Yeah, for sure. And baseball is such a hard, grueling sport like and just just you know like literally it's hard to hit a baseball so so for for the team you're going out against and um you know you're putting your heart and soul on the field every day your blood sweat and tears are, are out there every single day the the practices the two a days the you know the the weight room hours the study hall hours everything it all adds up and that's why you do it for a series like that and then for them 
to say it's because we were heating our bats or, or something like that. You know, it's, it's just frustrating to, to, to know why you're beating a team and, and them try to take that credit away from you and, and say it's because you're heating your bats or because of something else. You know, it's, it, was, um, it was just the idea of it that, that we felt like we went out and earned those victories and somebody was trying to take that away from us. Yeah, I have to imagine from watching, uh, you know, because Ray Tanner got fired up when he was asked that question about it. I have to imagine behind closed doors, he was very, uh, had a pretty, had some pretty epic words for you guys. I know he said in that press conference, he didn't bring it up, but I'd have to imagine there was, I, I'm sure you guys used it as motivation. That's all, that's, that's what I'll say. So, yeah, 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 exactly. He, um, he did a pretty good job of, of filtering, um, you know, the, the nonsense and then, giving us little nuggets of info for motivation. And, um, you know, I remember through that whole thing, he, he kept us in the right place mentally. And um, I guess you could say that he, you know, he dealt with the, with the BS and let us go out and handle business on the field. For sure. No, it, so it's so funny because kind of going backwards, but just talking about Ray Tanner, you know, I've talked with different people about 2010 and they, they've mentioned how Ray Tanner, I mean, I look at him, he's like almost like a baseball god. Like, he would say things were going to happen and they would happen. For example, I forget who it was, if it was Roth or Scott Wingo or whoever. But basically said Ray Tanner in 2010 said, all right, Jackie's going to get on here. Christian's going to come up. He's going to hit a two-run homer, whatever. And, you know, it's obviously talked about a lot how Ray Tanner would, you know, take a timeout, pull his hitter to the side and say, hey, I mean, why don't you just go hit a home run here? And more often than not, his guy would do it. I mean – did did he have a lot of conversations with you like that? Did you ever notice that happening? Because, I mean, I, you know, we've heard all the stories about it, and uh, it's just kind of crazy, you know, how, how Ray Tanner could coach that way. Yeah, yeah, he, he's done that a few times on a few different occasions that, that we still talk about today. Um, there, was, there was the Coastal one, obviously, he said something to the effect of uh, Jackie – or Adrian's going to walk, Jackie's going to hit a double. Um, I remember him telling Adrian, like, you just got to get on. Just get on base, start the inning, get on base, get on for Jackie. Jackie's going to do something good, get Walker up to the plate. And, I mean, that's, that's exactly how it happened. And then I remember the following year against UConn uh, going late into the game. It was a, it was a close game. Um, he, I was leading off the inning. He pulled me aside. I said, what are you thinking right here? And, you know, I, I can't remember. I had given him maybe a little bit of a scouting report from what I've seen off of the guy pitching. And he said, no, so he's going to – He's going to start you with a first pitch changeup. I want you to sit on it and hit this ball out to left field. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I'm like, yeah, I mean, no way this guy throws me a first pitch changeup right here. But, okay, if you say so, coach. And I went up there and sold out the first pitch changeup. And, and sure enough, first pitch changeup, hanger, hit a home run to left field. And get back to the dugout, and he's just standing on the top step smiling. Like so many times, think little things like that almost to the point where it got under your skin. You're like, how, how the hell does this guy know this stuff? And, I mean, it's, it's like you said, I, I consider him, you know, one of the best college coaches ever. And for me, that just, just spending that much time around him, um, you know, every day in, in those years. And even now, we, we still keep in contact. Um, you know, I still, I still truly believe that. No doubt. So going into 2012, obviously, again, I talked about how just kind of how – crazy this the level of success your college career as far as really team success I mean you guys are going into 2012 I mean I, you talked about obviously 2011 but I have to imagine going in 2012 you guys are like we're never you almost feel like you're just never going to lose again I mean the way you guys were rolling 
2012 had another great season. You personally had a great season. Golden Spikes Award watch list, first team All-SEC. College World Series All-Tournament team again. Um, and I actually didn't know this till just now, but you tied Dustin Ackley of North Carolina for a College World Series record 28 hits in a career. So, I mean, that's definitely something you can carry with you to this day. But overall, obviously, you guys get to the end, face Arizona, are unable to win it. You know, even after winning two national championships, getting that far in a season and losing, I know is tough. But how tough was it, you know, for you after you guys, you know, you see Arizona celebrating on the field and thinking, you know, more than likely for you, obviously, you know, because you were already drafted in the fourth round by Baltimore, knowing that's the end of your college career. Yeah, that that was more of, um, you know, what was on the line for us. Uh, obviously, we wanted to win, and it would have been amazing to free Pete, and we expected nothing less. But when it got down to it, um, and, and, you know, and game two ended, and, um, you know, we, we had lost, and they had won the national championship, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't any regret about, um, oh, I wish we would have done this, or man, we should have won these games. It was, it was sort of just trying to enjoy the last few moments on the field with with my college teammates. Um, you know, the guys I had I had lived with and 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 grinded with the last three years, and um, you know, that it was about it was just about enjoying those last few moments. That was, you know, as soon as the game was over, that was it. We weren't thinking about the game anymore. It was it was more so, okay, this is it. Like, you know, we did it. We went on a crazy run. It, it's been amazing. Um, you know, absolutely no regrets. Uh, it was it was just trying to really uh, embrace and, and take in those those last few moments on the field with with your teammates. No doubt. So this is probably a silly question, but do you think that the record you talked about the postseason wins record you guys have consecutive postseason wins? Uh, I don't have the exact number pulled up here, but I know it's something ridiculous. Do you think that'll ever even come close to being broken? Because personally, I don't think so. Uh, no, and, and of all the records in, in college, I, I'm pretty sure um, that's that's the one I'm most proud of. Um, and, and talking to Mars, it seems like that's the way he was, too. It's, that we feel like nobody will ever touch that. For the timing, I mean, one, for the timing to match up, you know, to lose the first game in Omaha and then go on a run and then another undefeated run through the playoffs and then a third, you know, run, it, it was – just, just the logistics of the timing for that to work out is pretty unlikely. And then for a team to get back to Omaha three years in a row is also pretty unlikely. And then to make it to the championship series three years in a row is, is also pretty unlikely. So just for all the things to add up for that to happen again doesn't doesn't quite seem, um, you know, obviously it's possible, but it doesn't doesn't seem likely. And, and you know, that's something we're really proud of as a team to to earn all those wins in, in the postseason and um, you know, high stakes baseball. Those those are the games that count. So so for us, that uh, that was you know that's for me that's that's probably my most uh, prideful record of, of college. Yeah. So it's 2010 by or 2010, 22 consecutive NCAA tournament wins, and you guys also have the most consecutive wins uh, in the College World Series with 12. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't see a scenario where that's ever going to be broken. You never know, but I don't think it'll even come close. You talk about your teammates, obviously. You play with a lot of, I mean, just names that people are going to know from South Carolina baseball. And, and, and you know, you talk about, about a lot. I know this is a big thing at the MLB level, which we're going to get to in just a second, kind of the dynamic and the chemistry of the locker room. As far as you, Christian, you know, at least in college, were you more so the jokester, the serious guy, kind of a mix of both? I mean, what type of dynamic did you have in the, in the, in the locker room for South Carolina? Uh, I would say I'm, I'm a bit of a mix of both. Um, off the field, I'm very sarcastic. Um, 
you know, I, I talk a lot of talk a lot of crap to my buddies, just messing around. Um, and then once once the game starts, I would say I'm I'm pretty serious. Probably one of the more serious more serious players. Um, you know, it's just just the way I feel like I perform my best. If I can, you know, I'll still make jokes in the dugout and all that, but between the lines, I, I try to uh, you know I, I try to just handle business. And um, but yeah, I would say uh, I'm a good I'm a I'm a pretty pretty decent mix of both. Nice. So one thing I definitely wanted to ask you about, because it's, it's funny, it's something that I always noticed, at least in your South Carolina career. I know you've kind of switched between DH and first base and stuff like that. Obviously, you're a great hitter, so a lot of DH for you. But um, in South Carolina, one thing I always noticed with you is that you almost had like a signature ball flip. Like when South, when South Carolina make a good play defensively, you'd kind of like almost do the Jordan back to the mound. Is that something that you like kind of made your own? Was that something you just did kind of out of habit? Or I mean – because, you know, a lot of different first basemen do a lot of different things and we throw it behind their back. Maybe they just toss it. They don't really have any swag with it or anything. But you were definitely a guy where it was just like kind of like that kind of like that exclamation point when South Carolina make a big play defensively. Yeah, and to be honest, I think um, I think that started probably around the, the first Carolina Clemson series. Um, you know, just pure emotion, a big inning, getting turned into double play or something like that. And um, you know, just being jacked up and, and flipping the ball back to the mound or, or, you know, like slamming it down on the mound, running back across the field. Exactly. Just, just an exclamation point. Um, you know, not, not necessarily trying to rub it in, but, um, you know, big outs, high intensity, high, high situations, things like that. Um, you know, it's just something that just kind of started happening. Uh, it was never really planned out. I would say I'd compare it to like a, a maybe a pimp job on a home run or something like that. Just, just letting the situation dictate it. And, um, you know, that's, like I said, about me being serious, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a very intense player. I really want to win. Um, so, so anything, anything like that to, you know, try to try to keep the team going or, or give us a little momentum or, you know, feel a little bit more cocky. I, I'm all, I'm all for. No doubt. So I was just taking a look at your statistics again, obviously you're getting your chance this year in the MLB with the Arizona Diamondbacks off to a very hot start. But before that, you know, you really bounced around, spent a lot of time in the minors. I, I was able to add it up. You had 134 home runs in seven years in the minor leagues, including, I think, one year. You had 32 homers at AAA. So, I mean, crazy power stats. With you, is it – obviously, you're blessed with God-given ability as far as power is concerned. But, I mean, have you just – are you – do you go up to the plate looking to hit a home run every single time? Is it more so just kind of the product of, you know, your swing? Or kind of like what is your approach at the plate that you think leads to those power numbers? Yeah, so I've always I've always been a hitter. I've always been able to hit the baseball hard. Uh, I haven't always been a power hitter. Um, you know, I, I hit some homers in college, but nine, ten, and eleven home runs. Um, you know, there was definitely a lot of guys hitting more home runs than me in college. Um, but I could always hit the ball hard. I always hit a lot of doubles. Um, you know, and I was always you know three, four, five somewhere in the lineup. Um, you know, in a in a run producing spot in the lineup. So the hitting and the hand eye coordination and you know, whatever you want to call it, the bat speed was always there. I could always hit balls hard. Uh, I got to pro ball and um, didn't necessarily struggle, but I didn't put out the season at the end of the year. I wasn't, you know, happy or necessarily proud of the season that I put together. So um, I guess it was about 2015 season. Um, I got with a hitting guy named John Walton, who is from Pennsylvania, uh, a guy I basically grew up in the same baseball circles as him, um, you know, in Pennsylvania. And um, he reached out. He has a hitting academy 
uh, in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, which was right down the street from my house. And basically just offered, hey, I got a, got a facility here. If you're looking for a place to hit in the off season, uh, would love for you to come by, blah, blah, blah. So went up there and me and him got to talking and um, he had been following the last few years and watching a lot of video and, and just had some, had some suggestions and some ideas offensively. Uh, and, and I was, you know, as, as a hitter, uh, I'm always looking for an edge. I'm always looking for an angle and always looking for some information. So, so for me, I was, I was interested in what he had to say. And a lot of it made, made a lot of sense. So we started, um, you know, I guess a, a swing overhaul, if you will, um, from, from approach to, we basically started from the ground up and, and left no stone, stone unturned. Um, so for me, it was, there was a, a big swing change made in, in between 2015 and 2016. Uh, so, so I think what, what's going on right now is, is just the back end of a lot of hard work and a lot of, um, a lot of just self-assessment, trying to, trying to be brutally honest with myself and, and trying to take my game to the next level. And, and, uh, to answer your question about, do I try to hit a home run every time? No, definitely not. Honestly, if I had to pick a blanket approach for myself, I would say I'm trying to hit a double in the right center gap every single at bat. Um, you know, now with my swing and my body type, that, that keeps me in, in, in some positions to hit the ball out of the park. And, you know, if I recognize a hanging curveball, I'm still in a position to get it in the air. And luckily, I'm, you know, I'm a stronger, uh, compact body type. So I can, I can generate some energy and, and, and stay behind the baseball pretty well. So, so for me, I'm trying to go opposite field gap, but uh, you know, that's just, that's just how, how it translates for me sometimes. For sure. No, I, I definitely say that is why you are the hitter that you are. Um, obviously, you know, 2012, again, you're drafting the fourth round. I mean, which is a very high draft selection. We're looking now it's 2019. Obviously, again, you talked about sort of the swing changes you went through and, but, you know, it's seven years later from that point, and you spent a lot of time. I know you bounced back and forth a couple of times, but spent a lot of times at the minor league level. You know, again, I know a lot of South Carolina fans are wondering, when is Christian Walker sort of going to get his shot at the big league level? Um, I mean, did you ever think when you got drafted in 2012 that it would take this long necessarily? Because, again, I know, I know that it's a huge transition going from um, college baseball to professional baseball, going from aluminum bats to wood bats, all the changes that come with it, the level of pitching you're facing. But, I mean, did you ever expect that it would take this long and that you'd kind of go through the minor league grind that you went through? Um, no, 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 definitely not. Um, I think I heard where when I got drafted, uh, I heard a few things like the average player spends, whatever, four to six seasons in the minor leagues. And mentally I was – you know, you think you know who you are as a player and you're young and all that. So, I, you know, I thought it would take me, I didn't think it would take me that long to get and stick. And I learned pretty quickly that the competition, competition in, in professional baseball is pretty serious. And, um, you know, it is a business too. And um, especially after debuting in 2014, I, I debuted with Baltimore after my second full season. Um, you know, I thought that was it. I thought I was in the big leagues to stay. And looking back, um, you know, I, I think, um, Spending a few extra seasons in AAA uh, was was what I needed. Um, not necessarily mentally or anything like that. I, I think just um, mechanically, swing wise, um, you know, I was close, but but compared to who I am now as a hitter, um, you know, I'm I'm much more prepared for any opportunity that that I come across at the moment. Um, you know, I don't know if that's just more at bats or or uh, you know a better approach at the plate or or you know just a few extra years of hard work, but you know, whatever it is, uh, it was it was definitely something that that has helped me. 
For sure. So a guy in your division, uh, regardless, maybe the best pitcher in baseball, Clayton Kershaw, a guy you see a lot, obviously, left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. Um, <clears throat> you hit a 489-foot Mammo bomb off of him last year. Uh, how, I mean, just how cool was that for you? I wanted to bring it up because I had a buddy of mine just say, you've got, you got to ask Christian about this. But how cool was that to, you know, hit that type of home run off a guy that, again, he's regarded as, you know, if not the best pitcher in baseball, without a doubt, the best left-handed pitcher in baseball? Yeah, that was amazing. Um, and especially a pinch hit. As a pinch hitter that day, to go up to the plate, to be to have your number called on, walk, you're hitting for the pitcher here. And, you know, you go up to the plate and, and try to put together a good at-bat to help the team. But, you know, to, to, to go deep, to, to be sent up to the plate for one at-bat that day, you know that's, that's your way to help the team is one at-bat. And to hit a home run as a pinch hitter is one of the greatest feelings ever. And then on top of that <clears> – <throat> to put together a good at bat, like, like against, against a guy like Clayton Kershaw, who, who is, you know, like you said, it's one of the, one of the best pitchers in the league, you know, obviously the division and all that. Um, and then kind of an interdivision rival, um, you know, against the Dodgers was also really exciting. So, so for me, top to bottom, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, I try in the moment, I try not to let the last name on the guy's Jersey uh, determine too much about the at bat in terms of, you know, being intimidated or, or anything like that. So, so for me, it was, it was just simplifying. Um, you know, I, I know what pitches he has. I, I know how he's going to try to beat, beat a right-handed hitter. And it was just a matter of being prepared for, for what he had. And uh, fortunately that, that, that worked out for me. No doubt. So obviously you hit a bomb off of him, but I've got to ask, you know, where would he rank as far as toughest guys you face? Because again, you're at the major league level. And the thing that I'll tell you this, Christian, the thing that scares me is that, it's not the guys throw a hundred. It's that there's guys that can hit a hundred because I mean, you think of, you barely can even see a hundred miles an hour to at least the untrained eye for people that, you know, don't see a hundred mile an hour fastball every single day. I mean, would you say he was the toughest guy you faced? And if not, who is the toughest guy you faced? Uh, you know, not just the MLB level, but throughout your career. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say, so he's, he's, he's tough, but in a, in a completely different way to where, He'll throw, you know, all his pitches look so different. He'll throw any pitch in any count. He's got the big Ephus curveball. He's got cutters that he'll pound into righties. Uh, he'll he'll backdoor it to righties as well. So so facing a guy like Kershaw, you just for me it was simplifying because he has so many pitches that he could throw you, and he's comfortable throwing any pitch in any situation to any location. Uh, so so it's a matter of of being in a position to handle any pitch you know luckily that worked out and I got they got the barrel to the ball and, and hit a home run but that necessarily wasn't the plan it was it was you know wh where can I be with my approach to hit the cutter if he tries to backdoor it or to hit a fastball or to hit a change up or 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 the pop-up curveball or something like that um so to be honest it, it's hard to rank pitchers in terms of um most most difficult uh but obviously the guys throwing 100 and 101, um, you know, we got some guys in our division this year, you know, Hicks from the Cardinals. And uh, there, there's a few guys that are just sitting over 100 consistently. And I have to imagine that, that those guys are pretty uncomfortable to face. But, but uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to rank, um, you know, specifically in, in terms of difficulty just because everybody, everybody's game plan is so different. 
No doubt. I saw something on Twitter. I think it was a guy with the the Rays. I'm not sure. I didn't catch his name, but it was a video of him throwing like a 99-mile-an-hour fastball and it had like three, four inches of movement on it. People were saying, this just isn't fair. I'll ask you because I think it's an interesting topic as far as the baseball, the game of baseball is concerned. You know, there's been – I'm sure you've seen a lot of different ideas thrown out about how to change the game, which a lot of them I think are just completely bogus as far as moving the mound, which I think would be like the worst thing that ever happened. Obviously, I think lowering the mound I think would help, but, you know, people are saying there's kind of an unfair – or pitching has overtaken hitting, if that makes sense. What's kind of your take on the state of the game of baseball right now? Do you think anything needs to be changed at all to help hitters, or what's your opinion on it? Um. I don't think much needs to be changed, to be honest. I, I think I think the game of baseball is amazing. I think the rules, it, it's a long game, it's a slow game, but that's not news to anybody. Baseball fans know that. You know, if you're going to watch a baseball game, you got to block out three hours. That's just how it is. I think all the, all the new rules and trying to speed things up and making guys face three batters and all that, I, I think um, I think maybe maybe the pitchers have the upper hand right now a little bit, but I, I don't necessarily think that's because hitting is too hard. I think it's probably a combination of all the new sabermetrics and the stats. And now, shit, the defensive shifts are at an all-time high. Very rarely do you play anybody in the lineup straight up. Somebody on the field is shifted somewhere based on a high percentage of balls, you know, where, where a guy hits. So, so it's not only are guys throwing 100 or, or – figuring out how how to throw spin rate and and what's more effective and deceptive as a pitcher but also the def- the defenders behind them are are in more likely spots for you to hit the ball so i mean i think it's a combination i think hitters will catch up too i think seeing 100 now is much more common than it was 7 or 8 years ago and i think with seeing it more often it's essentially we're going to we're going to catch up to it and and i don't think um you know if a guy's throwing 97 to 99 yeah it's hard but you don't feel completely overmatched it's you're still coming up with the game plan to help you handle them the way you would face in a crafty lefty who's throwing 89 90 so so for me I, I think I think less is more with the game I, I think I think if you let guys just play and figure it out it'll it'll even itself out over time and um you know that's that's just I feel like I'm just a baseball fan so I don't want to see anything happen with the game no doubt, same here. So moving into this season, obviously, you're, you're with the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're early on, obviously, in the 2019 season, but through six games, you're off to a good start, hitting 368, seven for 19 on the year. Um, three homers, six ribbies, even have a stolen base to your credit, which I thought was, uh, was, was kind of funny, kind of ironic. But <laughs> overall, what's clicking for you right now for Christian Walker? Um, you know, I'm just extremely comfortable with who I am. Um, in the clubhouse, on the field, I feel like I've put a lot of work. I've put a lot of hours into this, and um, I know who I am. Uh, uh, don't don't confuse that for being content or being, um, you know, being being uh, complacent or anything like that. It's just I know who I am as a player. I know what I have to offer. I know what I bring to the table. I know how I can help the team, and I feel like every day it's just it's just laser focus on how can I polish all those things to. To, to collectively beat the opposing team. And it, it's honestly, it's not much more than that. It's just, it's just the back end of a, of a lot of hard work. And um, things are going, right, going well right now. But if there's one thing I know about baseball, um, you know, it, it's a very humbling game. So 
um, you know, I'm just going to keep working hard and, and hopefully, um, hopefully be, be in scenarios to keep helping the team. Oh yeah. And they say in baseball, it's similar to golf actually, but in baseball as well, you know, there are two types of people, those who are humbled and those who are about to become humbled. So no doubt uh, you, you definitely uh, are speaking the truth there as far as the difficulty of the game. Uh, in regards to you, do you have any, because we obviously know when you're playing 162 plus games per year, when you, you know, are going through the baseball grind, obviously you find sort of nooks and crannies and different things, superstitions, if you will, kind of routines you get into. Is there anything specific for you that maybe people don't know or realize, or maybe they don't see when they're watching games that you do specifically, maybe when you are in preparation for your game, when you get up to the plate, anything in particular, any kind of weird superstitions you have? Um, I would say not, not too many superstitions, um, but I would say uh, most guys like they get comfortable with a bat or something like that. I would say I switch up my gear a lot. I, I love hitting with a brand new baseball bat. I love hitting with brand new batting gloves. Um, I'd say a lot of the guys I spend time around seem they like when a, a gat, bat gets broken in and they get all their pine tar marks on it and as uh, as they use it, it gets more comfortable for me. I, I enjoy uh, hitting with like a brand new bat. So I would say, in terms of a superstition, if you know, I, all my bats are the same model and the same length and the same weight, but I'll bring a few different colors and, and new ones and old ones out to the field with me. So for me, it's just uh, switching up little things like that within the game. It's not necessarily going to change the outcome, but if I can just change where I'm at mentally and 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 look good, look down at the bat and, and feel good about what's in my hand and and uh, how I feel at the plate, you know, sometimes that's just a little bit of confidence that gives you the edge. For sure. So I definitely want to ask you, you know, being with the Diamondbacks, just kind of simply put, you know, how do you feel about the team this year? Obviously, you guys are with the Dodgers, Padres, Rockies, Giants. I know the Dodgers are probably favored in the division, but, you know, early on in the season, obviously, but how are you feeling about uh, about the Arizona Diamondbacks team this season? I really like this team. Um, unfortunately, we've had, we've had a couple injuries early. Um, that's definitely not ideal. But as a whole, I think, I think we're going to respond well to them. We have been responding well. Uh, like you said, the Dodgers are a really good team. Um, opening up there in L.A., that's, that's a tough opening series. But, but the guys grinded. We battled. Um, you know, we're going to play them a few more times. And, um, you know, I, I really like this group of guys. This, this, the core group is, is still pretty much the same from the past few years. And, uh, there's great leadership. There's, there's a really good vibe in the clubhouse, keeping it loose, having some fun. Um, you know, for, for me, that's, that's been, that's been crucial in, in the, you know, in initial early success is, is showing up to the park and having fun. And, you know, it's still a game. You, you can't, yeah, it's serious and, and there's jobs on the line and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's your livelihood and it's job, your job and all that. But at the same time, it, it's still a game. And I truly believe that, that everybody performs better with, with that mentality. For sure. So before we let you go, Christian, I want to ask you kind of one final question. Um, Maybe something that you can share on the airwaves, your favorite memory from South Carolina, whether or maybe the funniest memory even as well, whether it be interactions with Ray Tanner, your teammates, you know, something on those national championship runs. What what would you say is kind of maybe the funniest story or overall just like best memory from South Carolina that you can share? Um, Well, one story – we always tell it involves Evan Marzilli and, and Ray Tanner. Uh, I guess this was freshman year, uh, maybe about halfway through the season. Um, Mars was making a push 
to be a starter. He was swinging it well. He, he hadn't gotten many opportunities early on. A um, couple base running, pinch run, uh, defensive replacements late in the game. Uh, I think he had, gotten, he had gotten doubled off on a line drive, maybe at first base. Um, and then maybe the next day, I, I don't know. There was, there was like, it was like two days where he had, he had, it was like a pickoff and then a freak play, a line drive. He had gotten doubled off. Um, and, and Mars takes his base running pretty seriously. So he was, he was uh, frustrated with himself at it. And, you know, sometimes that's how the game goes. So we show up the next day to the park and uh, Mars is in the starting lineup. And not necessarily to a surprise, but, but Tanner had something, you know, he, he, he wanted freshmen to really prove that, that they were ready to play. So Mars is in the starting lineup and um, we go out for batting practice and he, he goes over and puts his arm around Mars and said, Evan, you're in there today. Said, but if you get picked off or doubled off, he said, he pointed out in the left center gate. He said, just head out that gate, head up 95 and we'll send your stuff. And that was, uh, that, that, that's a story that, that's often brought up when we, when we talk about Ray Tanner and, and, um, you know, he's always, he's always cracking one-liners and things like that. So that was, that's, that's one pretty funny story for us. That's awesome. That, that, that's amazing. Well, Christian, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, obviously it was a pleasure to speak with you. Definitely want to follow up with you and bring you back on again when you're in the all-star game. Fully believe that's, uh, that, that's possible for you. But uh, yeah, man, really appreciate the time. Let's do it again sometime soon for sure. Yeah, we'll do. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.